Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com. This is a Paramount podcast. I'm Mike Casaza here on a Tuesday morning, day later than normal. Reason being West Virginia, two more road games, two more road losses. Chris Anderson, I can't believe it. 0-10 away from the Coliseum, 0-4 neutral site, 0-6 on the road in conference play. And I don't know that anything is really learned Anything changes from game Saturday and Monday, except now that officially cannot have a winning record in the regular season. Apart from that, probably not a lot of surprise unless you thought they might not lose by more points this year than last year at Texas, or if you thought they might have more fight 48 hours later against TCU, but maybe you haven't been paying enough attention if you thought those are the outcomes that were on the way. And it's two more losses that, for lack of a better explanation, are just two more losses that kind of fall in line. Yep, I think I asked you uh, at this time last week. I said, "Is this going to be a season where West Virginia goes winless on the road?" And you know, we listed off the five games: this one, Texas, TCU, already happened uh, at I number ten, Iowa State, now number ten at Kansas State and at Cincinnati. And we both were kind of like, "It's possible, but maybe they pull one of those off." I think I don't think either of us thought. This weekend was the weekend they were going to pull one of those off. But, man, just the performances. Like Again, we can go into more detail in a minute. But just the performances from those two games does not give you hope about them being able to go on the road and do anything later, no matter the opponent. I mean, it, it was um, a, a lot of issues. Again, we, we can go in more in depth right now. Uh, but it's going to be a winless road record. I I, I feel more confident now than I did last week about that becoming true. Yeah, which I guess would make sense now, and it wouldn't be as outlandish, but, boy, if you told me at the beginning of the year that, like, this is going to be, like, one of those teams that went 0-9 twice in the past, I would have been like, no, that's not in the cards for sure. But, boy, it's it's really difficult, you can tell, for teams to win on the road in this league, notwithstanding what happens at the Coliseum. But even though West Virginia has some good moments at the Coliseum, some good wins, but – um Sometimes I just wonder if getting away from like what's comfortable. I d- I just wonder if road games bother this team more. Like everybody knows why road games are difficult, but there's something about idle time, about being away from all the things you know, routines and regiments and all that that they wander. And if you look at games too, sometimes where it's off schedule or things have to be done, you know, on your own and away from a game plan or just something happens to react, they're not good at that either. So perhaps it does make sense too. I thought that they could get last night's game before they played actually when we talked last week i said they would get one of the two on saturday mondays so i'm not confident in them going to cincinnati and winning that game um so that means they're gonna have to either win at kansas state or iowa state iowa state's about as hard a place to play in the country this year and kansas state don't know that would be probably their best remaining hope maybe you would say cincinnati i don't know but yeah this is a real thing um that's a bummer it's hard to be it's hard to be good like if you don't split your big 12 row games and if you get swept on the road, I don't think that's good. Chris, um, was this no. a step back? Like I, I understand this probably isn't going maybe anywhere. We could probably admit that now. I think a lot of people have been critical of us for kind of having that glimmer of hope or like curiosity as to like, okay, what if, and I think in our defense, there's been so many staggering moments here where you have to stop and wait for everybody else to catch up and get on the same page. You never really got to see what they had. And maybe we never will. Because the state of things right now, I, I could see a lot of people checking out or not giving a complete investment, or they're just not being enough time to refine and polish all the problems. 
But man, to get smoked like that again at Texas. Again, last year, the day before the Super Bowl, they lost by 34 at Texas. You think they had that one circled this year. But that's probably like a byproduct of having rosters that turn over so much. What happened last year doesn't really matter. And then close early, better start last night, but ultimately fading down the stretch. And that's kind of becoming hallmark now, too. Yeah, it is. And and again, I, I just pulled up like the standings for the Big 12 to, to compare where West Virginia as far as on the road and what they got coming up. As you noted, Iowa State, one of the toughest places to play in the country. 14-0 at home, Iowa State is. Uh, Kansas State, 11-2. Cincinnati, 12-3 at home. Um, it's tough to play on the road. Everybody. Uh, the best record, by the way, in the Big 12 for away record, 4-3. and three. You know, TCU and Houston, they're both four and three. That's as good as it gets. So losing on the road is is normal. It's the norm. Uh, West Virginia doesn't even have the worst doesn't even have the worst record on the road in the Big Twelve. That uh, goes to Oklahoma State, who's zero and seven right now. But it, it's it's more how it's happening and what you're seeing as it's happening because it's not just a loss, like you noted. Like it's not just a five or 10 point loss with some tough shooting, a couple bad breaks. It's sloppy passing. It's lazy defense. It's things just fading down the stretch because the effort is just, you could just see the effort being kind of sucked from their bodies and they're done. And it, it's, it seems to carry over and carry over. And I noted in last night's three thoughts after the TCU game, that was some terrible lazy passing going on, even right from the get go. Uh, I mean, it's already noted that it was the most turnovers in a game for West Virginia this season, but not even counting the turnovers, just every pass was tipped. There was one possession where I think TCU got their fingers on uh, six or seven passes. And it wasn't turnover, but they got their hands on six or seven passes in one possession. And, and that just disrupts your entire offense. It turns everything off. And and that's a big problem. And part of that, so much of that is just laziness and effort and and, you know, mental and physical fatigue. Let's have another over conversation. Are you ready? Do they win again? Oh, oh man! All right, here, here's your schedule. Well, because we're counting, we're counting three more losses, basically, right? Yeah, we're, road. I, I'm not counting any road wins. Okay. So here's your home schedule. Ba- versus number twelve Baylor on Saturday. No, I find that unlikely. UCF on Tuesday. Probably their best chance. Yeah, probably. Again, UCF's not a world beater, but that matchup is tough because UCF, I mean, you we, we saw what happened in Orlando. Like that team is long and, and active, and that causes West Virginia some issues. Um, March 2nd, Texas Tech. Same Texas Tech team that, what, just beat Kansas by 30, 29? Incredible. It's going to be tough. And then TCU, the team West Virginia just lost to by 16. However, TCU's never won in the Coliseum. Nope. And, 11 that's and not that's not the Maybe. best place for Jamie Dixon historically either. Maybe. By the way, is Jamie Dixon the best defensive coach ever jumping out? Is he like Shaka Smart jumping out playing defense? Because I thought they were getting rid of that, the Big 12 officiating talk, because he was out there. On Monday night, not again. This isn't you know poor sport, you know whatever. What didn't change the game, but 
I thought the whole point of this conversation was that that stuff's stopping and he's out there in a defensive stance, jumping out of the box, jumping behind West Virginia players while they're catching the ball. He, I mean, he's been doing that for years. And I don't hate it, but if they're trying to get rid of it, man, he is a prime culprit. Yeah, you figure that he would be the guy on the highlight tape that they, like for the teaching for referees, there's a lot of Jamie Dixon clips in there, you would think. Um, good point. He was definitely like the sixth man last night for them. Here's a another one for you. A lot of people have have put the the what if all over the season. No arguing that. And then this goes back to to the radio in June and the the concert in June and all that stuff. I guess radio in May, concert in June. And I don't want to go through all that again. But the roster changed a bunch. But there's like a couple things that again I don't know how much control they had over this. Some they did, some they didn't. But a couple things that do stand out to me. So I don't want to say what if they had their initial roster. Because a lot happens. And then, you know, there were there were certainly whispers that Mitchell was looking around before Bob Huggins is no longer the coach. I'm not sure that Joe Toussaint was going to leave, if not for the opening, um, that 30-day window for a coaching change. And then you have the Jose Perez. Those are the three I want to focus on. Because when you look at who came in and then what they have in place instead, those are the ones you can really circle because I think that they miss a lot of this stuff. One, Joe Toussaint. Never mind that he's having a really, really good year at Texas Tech, but like that's that guy is like the the like the most productive. I want to call him a jerk, but a jerk, right? In the best way possible. Like he's going to be competitive and he's going to, you know, probably say and do things when times get tough. Like if you can just remember him last year when they lost games and, and he wasn't happy about it and stuff like that, that's some New York in him. That's just the way he's wired. Perez having a, a solid season in Arizona State, tree in the forest, I understand. Putting him at the three is a lot different than the problems they've had at the three this year, especially defensively. And then Mitchell, I don't know if you could project he was going to have the season he's having in Kentucky at West Virginia this year, but that's a guy who who could score and who could get shots and who could work within an offense and he could rebound and a little bit of everything where they have more problems in those same areas without him. So I guess where do you begin on like what's a fair question, critique, commentary on what might have been with the roster? Because I don't want to get into the blame game of who's the fault and all that. I don't want to get into NCAA suspensions, medical conditions, broken wrists, um, lawsuits, whatever. But is it is it fair to start at those three? Is that unfair to other people? Where do you begin and how do you have that conversation? don't know because you're right it's hard to have this conversation without having the conversation about who's to blame because then you just go down that road but it did when you were talking about it it did make me think right all the way back to when this happened and when the window opened um we said you know because once a coach is fired it opens that 30-day window why fire suspend indefinitely that window never opens um, God, who was it? It was a football coach like a few, a couple months later where they did the same thing and they just suspended him. They didn't fire him. They suspended him for a while and then eventually fired him. But during the suspension, players couldn't enter the portal. It is a low down, dirty, mischievous thing to do. But, you know, you got to do what you got to do to survive sometimes. And, and that was, I get, obviously, like the administration had to act on what was happening. But I don't know if people put too much thought into it with that. Um, 
might have saved them some headaches, might have kept guys around, might have caused more headaches later. Again, this is, who knows? Like, because then you keep those guys around, then they're just mad and ticked off, and then they try to leave later, even later in the process when you do end up firing Huggins. So, like, I don't, I mean, I don't know what the right answer is because, again, we're just going to keep going down this rabbit hole. We keep spinning around talking different things, and it's going to come back to whose fault is this? Whose fault is this? Why does this have to happen? What's next? And again, that seems to be what everybody else wants to know is what's next. When, when is it time to just start focusing on the next thing? Cause I think you noted it right off the top here. It's clear now if it wasn't already. This is a temporary thing that's going to come to an end right. in the near future. So then how about this? Look at their roster. Swap. I would guess it would be Farrakhan for Tucson. Correct. Slazinski for Mitchell. Okay. And they never replaced Perez. Remember, they were trying to add a big um at some point in December and it just never worked out. So that's that's a hole there. So like that obviously tips the scales. But um I don't think that you could say they don't get the crease of suspension or the battle um issue court cases, because those are those are ha- those had already happened. You know, the, the crease of thing had already happened at Arizona and someone told on them. And battle was obviously was going to be an issue that ultimately cost him nine games. He missed 10, but ultimately cost him nine games. So you're still going to have that. Who knows about a cook, a cook, who knows about Jesse Edwards or anybody else that may have, you know, gotten hurt or sick or whatever that you can't account for that. But that seems to be the two big things. You swap out Farrakhan. He really wasn't even going to play. So you lose Tucson to a blank. You lose Perez to a blank and you swap the Slazinski for Mitchell. I think I have that right. Um, Maybe the order is not perfect, but that's essentially the trading that they did. I just think they're a much better team. Than, but I don't I don't think there's any argument with that. Question then is, can like Josh Eilert whip this up and, and make it good or better than it has been so far? I don't know if Eilert is a, a, an 8-16 and 16 coach. You like to think he's a little bit better than that too, but who knows? We don't know. Um, and we probably won't get to find out either. I do think about that, like all the what ifs here, but like what if they just had kept Toussaint and kept Mitchell, because I think those are good players. And Perez, what if it didn't have to be a get out of town, you know, my way or the highway kind of a thing? Do you litigate that differently? And that's obviously a problem and a solution further down the road than Tucson and Mitchell. I just think those three personalities, those three players make a difference. Like, again, I don't want to call Tucson a jerk. I hope I didn't make that bad. But I just think that he would have been good for this team as a, a very business-like, competitive, determined player who was not going to take kindly to losing by you know, 50 one night and then 22 the next. Like, boy, what would practice be like tomorrow? And I'm, I'm sure there are other guys like that that are out there, but there might also be guys in this team who want to be like that and can't. That might other be a problem. And then Mitchell, I just think, would be a good basketball player in this team. And Perez, just, you know, Creasa battle Perez, Tucson battle Perez as your your one, two, three. I just think it works a little bit differently. And then you see some of the, especially defensive efficiencies at that three spot and some of the problems they've had juggling things maybe he solves that and that's not as bad of an issue so i guess that's the conversation you really can't have but it is fun to have you know it's a question you want to ask but it, like you said for for a myriad reasons it's very difficult to answer i got a question for you mike hmm. here's the question i want to ask west virginia defeating number three kansas this west virginia team defeating number three kansas where does that rank on the most improbable wins of a WVU team in recent memory? 
I think it's probably more surprising just because of the name Kansas. That not a great Kansas team though, right? It could be, but don't forget when they went fifteen and twenty-one, they beat Kansas. So this team is. I don't know. Like that team was a mess that year. And I think that they weren't even 15 and 21. Like they had to win some games late to get there. And that wasn't a terrific team. Like I'm trying to think of who was on that team here. Let me punch it up right now. Starting lineup was Marcus Garrett, Dedrick Lawson, Devin Dotson, LaGerald Vick, and Quentin Grimes. Quentin Grimes is probably the best player in that group. Mitch Lightfoot played in that game. David McCormick was young. He became a good player. Ochai Agbai was there, but he was a young player. I think that was his freshman year. KJ Lawson. It wasn't a great team. So, again, if they beat a team that profiles as Kansas, but they're like some other name, then you wouldn't be so surprised. I just don't think Kansas is a terrific team this year. But, yeah, for them to beat Kansas, to beat Bill Self, and to beat the the brand of Kansas doesn't make a lot of sense for this team. And then to beat Texas and then get absolutely um, just obliterated when they go on the road, that isn't as surprising, I guess. But still, you'd like to see something better than that, too. A good question. Right, that- Next question for you. I'm just going to start. I'm just. We're, I'm going to turn this into my own personal Q and A. Okay. Uh, not even going to tell you about it. But what's the biggest issue with this team? What is? I mean, because like you, you go and look at the stats. Like they're dead last in offense in the Big Twelve. They're dead last in defense. They're dead last in shooting. They're dead last in steals. They're dead last in rebounding. Like, we can't say everything. So what? What's the biggest issue? Don't it's care. The, they don't care. Okay. No, I said you didn't care. <laughs> Close. Uh, that would be the way to refine that to a point. And again, that might not be fair, but these have been problems since day one, Chris. And you would think at some point you would you would really care enough to not lose games because of that, to not have your coach hammer the same point in practice, in a, in a screaming session, in a film session. You'd think they would be like, man, guy might have a point after two dozen games, right? Like maybe there is something here we should be thinking about. Um, and then that just doesn't appear to be like there. And then how does that manifest itself on the floor too? Well, one, you get picked on easier by other teams because they have an entire season to serve as a body of evidence that you can't do this. You won't do this. You're not able to defend this or um, combat this on defense, on offense. And all of a sudden you're much easier to unplug. And that happens across the season. Just teams pick on you a little bit and players, tactics, whatever. Also, what does it look like on the floor? Again, rebounding, blocking out, diving on loose balls, catching the pass, listening to your coach, you know, just just not, man, I got a wide open three here. Yeah, there's six seconds into the shot clock. We can get a better shot, but I'm open, right? Man, my coach has been talking about quality shots all season. Just the quality shot. So stuff like that, it just hasn't gotten better. And like their their old problems are their current problems. And that's that's a problem for any basketball team, but especially one that has so many. Um, and I think you just see teams that they realize they can be physical with West Virginia. They can beat them to the floor. They can beat them to the glass. They can run through passing lanes. They can jump on you at half court. And that offense that West Virginia has is going to back up and reset and pass the ball and try to find the point guard again. And like next thing you know, there's like six seconds in the shot clock. It's just been like that all season. So just to care enough to 
do this for an entire season, that would be concerning to me. And if they cared more, there might be fewer problems. They might have more wins, but you would certainly have seen improvement in some of the problem areas that were circled, what, on day one of practice, Chris? And then I'm pretty sure if you sat down now and you talked to Josh Eiler, a lot of the problems then are the problems now. Like, do they have new problems, Chris? No, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I think so much of this has to deal with effort because I was talking about the passing for this game. That's effort. Like, I mean, it was just lazy lob passes that, for those who are viewing, run like this instead of straight line drives. At one-handed passes instead of a, a you know technically correct two-handed pass, just just laziness. And then there was one play in particular. You put it on the board. Was it like the twelve forty-two or the ten forty-two mark in the first half? Um, Noah Farrakhan takes a three. No one goes for the rebound. It bounces back towards him. Farrakhan goes for the board, dives on the ground. Meanwhile, there's three West Virginia players who were actually closer to the ball, all just standing and staring at the ball. Standing there, staring. Didn't even, like, their hands are by their side. They're standing completely still. And I was like, wow, that's unbelievable. Only one one of the four guys that were near the ball actually went for it. And I'm like, well, at least, you know, Farrakhan tried. And then I think a few moments later, I get a message in my DM. You can divulge who if you care to later. That says, I thought Farrakhan cared, but no. And, and no, no effort there as well. So it's just seems to be like rampant throughout the team of, of just an effort thing. And that effort is going to lead to bad defense. Effort is going to lead to bad rebounding. Effort is going to lead to um, bad passing and turnovers. And there you go. There's all West Virginia's problems. It's an astute observation, Chris, about DM. I might ask who right. that was. Hey. So is there is there hope? Like not this year. I'm not asking for hope this year. Is there hope? Oh, yeah. The, it just it comes for to the coach. Turnaround. Like, excuse me. For the longest time, Chris, like this is a program that was identified by its coach. And like, I think that's that's kind of rare nowadays where you'll have teams because their players, or the conference they're in or, um, you know, a, a run. So like a core of players, like think about that Gonzaga team. Yeah, Mark Fee's been very good. They play in a funky conference, but like. They've had signature players that you've known for several years across time. Or you can look at like um, like generational teams like that Kentucky team that beat West Virginia in the Sweet 16 and, and identified by certain players. And like that's that's fine, but those things change over time. For, for what, 17 years, West Virginia was the Bob Huggins program. And it's funny now that that's gone, but the immediate success of this program here is going to be the new coach. Like, is he going to be the brand of the program? Maybe the face of the program? Probably. I'm not sure that's what you want, <clears throat> especially when you're looking at like how quickly Ross's turn over now and, and our old ways and new ways. I don't know. That's going to be interesting. But for this to go back the way it was going, and like I think everybody wants it to go, this is going to have to be a coach's program who comes in and you know mixes his roster, gets some transfers, recruits some players from America, from international pools of talent, and then develops over time, gives you a system that is identifiable and recruitable on offense and or defense that builds in some of the things that have been lost or squandered this year. And, oh, by the way, can hang with Bill Self and Scott Drew and Jerome Tang and it just on and on going down this list, right? That's You, you really got to have a coach to do this. So I guess what's old is new again, and the trouble is, how many coaches are like that out there? And then nowadays, how much, how much, how much time air quotes do you get? I don't know. I, Cause I think like 
to come into a situation like this, which we said could have, I don't know, double digit scholarships available, but could also have up to nine players come back. That's going to be interesting, but that coach is going to have to come in and really make some decisions or have some hard conversations with players. But people are going to expect because it happened here or here or here in football or basketball that you can win right away in year one or year two. And it might not be that easy. Um, that's like a fascinating part here. So there is hope, but it begins with you got to nail the hire, which is probably the least surprising thing that you're going to get as far as a response here. We'll give this piece of advice to athletic director, Ren Baker. Ooh. Travel with the team in two weeks when they go to Iowa state and sit down with the athletic directors there in Ames and ask them about it. Because I think that's where you're going to find a glimmer of hope for this West Virginia program. People wondering about a quick turnaround, how it's so bad. How can it happen so quickly? How can West Virginia university get back to relevance in the world of college hoops? And it's right here in the big 12 An examples right here in the big 12. It's right over at Iowa state in 2020, 21, they went two and 22. They did not win a single big 12 conference game. They were abysmal that off season. They hired a new coach. They didn't kick out, but essentially dismissed slash gently nudged essentially their entire roster out. I had three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven players gone from that uh, winless team. Brought in seven transfers plus a solid uh, recruiting class and brought them from all over the country, all over the world, Netherlands, Slovenia, uh, various colleges in, in the United States. The next year, the very next year, after going winless, Sweet 16. So, you know, is that the expectation you should set? Probably not. That's probably a little extreme. But that's the roadmap. You make the right hire. You purge your roster of the problems. And you go out and you find the the, the solutions. And, and, and it has happened before. So you know it can be done. So, Ren Baker, travel on that jet to Ames in a couple of weeks. Pick up a few tips and keep that in mind in your notebook here in about a month or two. Then call me and tell me what you found out. That'd be cool. Rewind, Chris, 2019 for a second. Yeah. That Kansas game, I mentioned the starting lineup for Kansas. Do you want to hear the West Virginia starting lineup? Do it. Okay. Uh, starting, Jermaine Haley, Andrew Gordon, uh, Chase Harler, Wes Harris, Issa Ahmad. I like how we both, came off the bench. Both had the what? Andrew Gordon. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was the guy. Uh, Culver, Lamont West, Beal Bolden, and Jordan McCade came off the bench. And if I am correct here, and I'm pretty sure I am, yeah, like Harris and Ahmad did not make it through the season. Um, Emmett Matthews didn't even play in that game. He was a freshman. Um, also on this roster, Kanate didn't work out well. Logan Rout, good player, didn't play, didn't work out well that that particular game. Um, Brandon Napper, a freshman. So also Trey Dooms, goodness. Speaking of that guy, right? Some talent there. Um, but boy, what a what a weird season that was. They were twelve and nineteen in the regular season. Beat Oklahoma and Texas Tech, the Emmett Matthews game in the Big 12 tournament, lost to Kansas, uh, and then beat Grand Canyon and got just absolutely this was this is 109 to 91. That was a 
CBI game against Coastal Carolina. It was that was an 18 point game. It was not an 18 point game. And I, I didn't Culver show up late and didn't start or didn't play the first half. And the crowd was just cheering, demanding that he would play. And he had a he had a decent second half, I guess, there too. But um oh man, I guess what's old is new again, right? The dysfunctional yeah. roster, players who aren't available for chunks of time, talent. The assembly of talent is always difficult here too. So um you're not the best memories there either, huh? Absolutely not. I guess you got to go through that every every few years just to every remind five. you what that you had a good at some point. So, all right. Well, Saturday home Baylor. There's a guy on that team from right down the road in Fairmont. I forget his name. Mm. I don't know. I'm sure we'll hear it a couple times. Had a good year. That team's been up and down, in and out. Um, they're good. They're gonna be a tough matchup for West Virginia. Can we close a little bit of business? Yeah, do it. Last time we talked to one of these, um, someone asked about uniforms for the football team. Okay, that was your facial expression, not mine. Okay. I I just admitted that I'm not plugged into it. Um, cool. I get it. Like, that's fine. But, like, it's not my thing. Well, I, I kind of rage about the Liverpool uniforms, which are a color that they shouldn't be, so on and so forth. Chris, the feedback on that was predictable and harsh with a lot of people telling us what's happening. Um, people felt for my ignorance people reached out to me um and told me some things yeah new uniforms coming and people have told me this over and over 2024 season evidently this will be announced spring game so kind of like what they did brown's first year which you said maybe they'll do that that does seem to be their plan now what is that going to look like no idea um i think the grays might be gone that's the plan. Bigger one, Chris. Are you ready for this? Ready as I can be. On February 13, 2024, the plan, at least in this infant stage, play host to Penn State, which hit West Virginia with the whiteout last year. Play host to Penn State in all black uniforms. No gold, no blue. White trim, white letters, white numbers. Everything else black. Now, will that be part of the new uniform package? I don't know. Could that change? Perhaps. But what has come out of some conversations that I've had with people is that, yep, new set of uniforms coming in 2024. Plan is to use the spring game as, I don't know, the catwalk, let's say. But the bigger deal, and it may not be announced until later, if it does make it out of the um, out of the fashion show, black uniforms. Your thoughts? Can't believe you didn't give me a heads up about that so that we could set up the little Instagram camera and, and make that go viral because that is going to send some people, a lot of people, into a frenzy right there, Mike. Really? Yeah. I mean, you saw how angry everybody got when we were like, yeah, uniforms, whatever. Just the majority of the fan base is very interested in uniforms. So I think that's going to uh, catch the ears of a lot of people, as long as they were willing to put up with a lot of basketball talk there for the first 30 minutes or so. I know that was the, that was the carrot at the end of the stick here. Just follow <laughs> me to the finish. And I promise there's a payoff there. Listen, that's the plan. We'll see what happens. Then may get talked out of it. Maybe on the weather balloon, Chris, and they had me floated out to the public and the harsh reaction is going to be such that it pops that weather balloon 
it flies away and we never see those black uniforms and that's on me that's my fault i did my job unknowingly um but i i can see this being a potential thing and again is it a regular thing is it a once a year is it a special occasion like they're pro combats i don't know we'll see but i do think it's interesting that they're they're leaning toward that and, and we'll see where it goes in there leaning toward the end of our basketball season chris we talked a lot more about this than we thought maybe we'll do more maybe we'll do less depending on what happens um this week before this week is over though definitely rolling us in baseball i think that's the the round ball sport that people are more excited about right now what could possibly go wrong when you have one of the top ranked players in the country on your team we'll see but they start off with a four game series at stetson this weekend We'll roll lots of previews. We'll even gather back here to talk about it. Then anything else, sir? That is it. Let's wrap it up. Look for some three-minute videos later in the week, too. We just uh, solicited um, some requests from the message board as we were recording this podcast, and we'll be uh, recording those and putting them up later in the week. Until then, I'm Mike Casazza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We will talk to you then.